Hallelujah. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 26. <laughs> and we are going to uh, continue this morning. I'm going to go quickly, just a little bit of review. And then I want to give you two more points in this lesson series that we're doing on living, blessed, broken, and given. And it ties in with communion this morning. And uh, Pastor Tim referred to it. And, uh, but it says in verse 26, speaking of the Lord's Supper, we just partook of. And as they were eating, chapter 26, verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood for the new covenant, which is shed for, the, for many for the remission of sins. Amen. I forgot to do our confession. David, do you have our confession this morning? Forgive me. Amen. Let's say it again. Are you ready? Here we go. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you in these next few moments. Lord, you're going to speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Let your truth become alive. Let it be living inside of us and producing the harvest that it contains in Jesus' name. Somebody say it. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So look at the cover of your outline as we walk through this and uh, just learning about what it means to be blessed, broken, and given. Listen to what Jesus said. This is my body. He receives the bread. He blesses it. And then he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my body that has been defined by God's purpose for my life. Brokenness is being defined to purpose. Jesus says, I have come to live my life through brokenness or living by God's definition for my life. I'm a little bit ahead of myself of where I want to be, but how many know many people get broken by life? People experience brokenness all the time. Broken heart, broken relationship, broken expectation, all kinds of things. Brokenness touches our life. You can either be broken by life or you can be broken by God's purpose. Amen. I, I would rather go through God's purpose defining my life than broken experiences defining my life. Amen. And so either way, but uh, I'm thankful. And then he said, this is my body broken for you and given to you. And so one life becomes enough to save a world. Look at your outline with me on the cover. We will never see the fullness of God's word come to pass in our life until we allow the seed of his word to be planted in the soil of our heart and produce the harvest that it contained. And we've been illustrating that to you, just soil. So I'm keeping this up here. I have my little thing of dirt. And I have some seeds, and as long as these two stay here, what's going to happen? And just, it just won't happen, even though this has the potential to produce this, and, and this has the potential to produce when it's connected with that. So believing, I believe in the Bible, I believe this, I believe God, I believe God. And we can have all this belief out here, but it doesn't produce until it gets in us. Can you say Amen. And so that's a difference. That's why head knowledge doesn't produce. Head knowledge doesn't produce. Only heart faith produces. When the word of God gets in our heart, it changes that. So we're living blessed, broken, and given. The word of God, as I've been telling you, is feared by nations because it contains life-changing and nation-changing faith and power when placed in the soil of a man's heart. When people hear the word, they stand up. 
Amen? They stand up for change. 52 nations have banned it. So the question we have to ask ourselves, is there a part of God's word that is banned in the nation of our hearts? So when I read the Bible, do, do I live by it all or do I live by my, you know, just the promises? A lot of people like the promises, but we forget that the promises are connected to conditions. Amen. Most of the promise start out with, I will do this if you do this. So there's an if or a condition connected to that. So I can't just claim the promises if I'm not going to live by the conditions. Are we doing all right? So when as a believer, we take the restrictions off of his word and learn to live in the understanding and flow of its principles, we will find the fulfillment in life that we're looking for. So ask ourselves this question, how do I know if I'm placing restrictions upon my faith in God? Not the devil. Too many times we give the devil too much credit. Amen. And usually I just need to be getting after myself. How do I know if I'm placing restrictions upon my faith in God? First, when all I see is not enough. Is not enough your daily conversation? We don't have enough to do this. We don't have enough to do that. I don't know that. It is lack. If I speak in lack, if I speak in tones of poverty and lack and not enough, then I'm placing restrictions upon my faith in God. When my doubts have a louder voice than my faith. When I allow fear to speak before faith. When I allow worry to replace my peace. And when I allow circumstances to steal my joy. Over the years, I've always been surprised when a Christian says, I, I just have lost my joy. How can you lose the fruit of the Spirit? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, gentleness, temperance, meekness. Hello. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So if you lost your joy, you must have lost the Holy Ghost. Anyway, moving right along. But we say things that, that really can't be biblically true. It, it can't, I can't lose my joy because joy is an inward fruit of the Spirit. I may not be tapping into it, and I may be letting outside circumstances suppress it and restrict it, but it hasn't gone anywhere. I'm just not utilizing or taking advantage of what is mine in Christ. Would you say amen? So we just, I don't want to spend a lot of time in that this morning. So look inside your outline. I want to review one and two, and then I want to give you three and four. We have six lessons that we're trying to impart to you that come and progressively of living blessed, broken, and given. Number one, we're called to live off the increase of being blessed, broken, and given. That's what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. And we, the question was, because it's around the feeding of the multitudes in Matthew 14, we have read it where Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And that Jesus isn't doing miracles just to prove that he can. He's trying to illustrate the principles of the kingdom to his disciples. He knows he's with them a short time. He has to turn this whole thing over. He's going to build his church and establish his kingdom through his followers, and they need to understand this. Are you with me? And so he's trying to get that to them. But what happens is he wants them to understand that we live off the increase of being blessed, broken, and given. Let me just give this. When you get saved, the moment you get saved, you give your life to Christ. The moment he receives anything, he asks them for what they had. They brought him the five loaves and the two fish. He received it and he blessed it. The moment you give your life to Christ, he receives you and you become blessed. Anything he has, he blesses. Are you with me? 
You receive by him, you are blessed. And, and so we're, being, we're blessed in being received. Our life is now mixed with his. If any man beware. In Christ. So you are in him. Paul says our life is now hidden in him. In him we live, we move, we have our being. So our lives are mixed together. So if I am mixed in part of and, and, and just all in his life, how many know his life is blessed? So my life is blessed. Amen. Do you know how many books Christians have bought on trying to get blessed? Oh man, I sure wish I was blessed. Are you saved? If you're saved, you're blessed. If you've given your life to Christ and he receives you immediately, you are blessed. Living in the reality and the understanding of who you are in Christ is the key. Amen. So our life is now mixed with his. We become partakers of all that he is for us, in us, and upon us. The moment you get saved, you become a partaker of his life. He is in you. He is with you. He is upon you. Amen. And then through brokenness, by becoming yielded and sur surrendered to his predetermined course and purpose for our life. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship. We are recreated in Christ Jesus. We're his workmanship to live out the plans and the purpose that he has for our life. But in order to live his plan, I have to be broken away from mine. I have to be separated from mine. Are you with me? And so when I do that, his life flows through us and then given by sowing our lives into the soil of his kingdom. Many times we can hear the truth proclaimed but miss walking in its fullness. We can't see it first. We have to do it. I mean, if I could see it, I would do it. We're not called to do it. We're called to walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. The disciples were God called, God anointed, and God appointed. Meaning that God called means they're blessed. Empowered means that we aren't called to do it by our own hand, by our own ability. And being sent, given to be the hand of God to the people. That's why the Christmas shoebox, the things we do, everything we do, God wants you to be his hand extended. The disciples prayed in Acts 40, Lord, by stretching forth your hand to heal. How's he going to stretch forth his hand to heal? By making your hand his hand. He lives in you, and the, the inward reality, I'll never forget one guy used to say it like this. He said, man, I'm wall-to-wall -wall Holy Ghost on the inside. Come on, God lives on the inside of you. And, and when we understand that, I begin to agree with his life in that, then we begin to step out as his hand extended. Excuse me. So Jesus, look at this, Jesus called them to himself. In Luke chapter 9, speaking of the apostles, he called them to himself, he gave them from himself, and sent them for himself. That's what God wants to do in your life. I, I get so excited, I think God wants to, he's calling us to himself. Nobody comes to the Father, the Father's reconciling us to himself, and then when we come to him, he gives us of himself. He said, I'm going to give all that I am, I'm giving up to you. Think about that. And I, every time I preach on this or get around this, it, and, and we think about our marriage vows, look at what we say in our marriage vow. All that I am, I give to you. And in covenant, that's a covenant vow in exchange. That's where the vows came from. It is called in cutting covenant. And God taught man how to enter into covenant. And in covenant, that's what you do. You vow all that you are to the other person. You are there for them. Everything you have is there. They don't have to ask for it, beg for it. You have now given yourself to them. Are you with me? If you understand, that's what God has done. God has entered into covenant with you. And he says, all that I am, I give to you now. 
How many of you just say, uh, that makes me blessed? Are, are you getting this? God has given. And, and so then he says, okay, then, then what we do in exchange is we give ourselves to him. And we say, all that we are, we give to you. How many know God giving you all that he is and you giving you all that, that you are? How many know you're getting the better side of that deal? <laughs> just a thought. Amen. So he wants to do the same with us. Jesus always acted and taught in a way that would take our eyes off of ourselves and place them upon the purpose of God in our life. We are limited and we limit God when we're only looking and seeing what we can do. The second lesson, and we finished up here last week, is Jesus will always ask for all that you have. God doesn't want part of your life. Amen. This is a marriage union. This is a complete union. This is the giving all of ourselves to him. And, and it's just like, see, see, marriage doesn't work in partial commitment. Christianity doesn't work in partial commitment. That's why it's illustrated in death and resurrection. Christianity is a resurrected life. It's dying to self and being raised in new life. The old man dies. Your old man dies. You don't get to hang on. You don't get to bring along the favorite part of yourself. Because the favorite part of yourself is probably the part that will get you in the most trouble. <laughs> Amen? And so we live by that. So he asks for all you have all of our whole life. And, and, and that, that's part of where we get back to find out, wait a minute, what part of this book is banned in the nation of my heart? Well, some of that all stuff. Okay, moving right along. So his purpose is to show us that all we have will never be enough to fulfill God's purpose in our life. You don't have enough to do what he asked you to do. Our faith must always be in God's supply, not in our provision. My daughter Jamie got me this book the other day. She brought it over last night, and I just kind of thumbing through it this morning. And I turned to Philippians 4.19, and this is uh, 1001 Thoughts from My Library by D.L. Moody. And it's a bunch of comment, little comments by uh, a lot of great people. So this is C.H. McIntosh on Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Think about this. What a source, God. What a standard. His riches and glory. What a channel, Christ Jesus. Hear that again. What a source. God. My God. That's the source. What a standard. His riches and glory. What a channel. Christ. It is your sweet privilege to place all your need over against his riches. And to lose sight of the former in the presence of the latter. He ex he ex his exhaustless treasury is thrown open to you in all the love of his heart. Wow. And go draw upon it in artless simplicity of faith, and you will never have occasion to look upon a natural stream or lean on a natural prop. Wow, I love that. Amen? So God says, you just don't have enough. So when we release what we have, he can turn not enough into more than that. What was Jesus teaching his disciples? When you live by the principles of the kingdom, your not enough will be turned into more. 
More than enough. Always think about it. Obedience to his request always opens the door for his provision to flow through our life. Turning not enough into more than enough. The ministry of serving, caring, caring for others, ministering to others is the ground to turn not enough into more than enough. Never for the purpose of getting. I believe God wants his people to prosper. Amen. Think about it. It's over and over. I pray that you would prosper and be in health. God's will is for you to prosper. But the purpose of kingdom prosperity is for the resource of the kingdom to flow through your life. God has given you stewardship. A steward is a manager of another's good. He's made you stewards over his house, over the resources of heaven. He says, now distribute to those for whom they are prepared for. Glory to God. Amen. So think about it. The ministry is the ground that does that. Never for the purpose of getting, but for the purpose of giving, knowing there will be more than enough left over. So what does he do? He gives the process. Jesus feeding the multitude, the command come, you give them something to eat. The question is, what do you have? The answer is what? Not enough. Or what is this among so many? Hear this this morning. Our lack is never a hindrance to God. When we look and we see what God wants us to do, our lack is never a hindrance. In in all my 41 years of serving the Lord, I've never had enough to do what God has asked us to do in anything that we've done. But yet we've been able to do everything as God asked us to do. Amen. I'll never forget when we opened the Lord's gym and Pastor Doug came up here and he said, my God, Don, Don, you guys have done something that churches three or four times your size wouldn't even attempt to do. I said, well, I'm just sorry they have a little God. (laughs) Amen. I mean that. Think about this. Our lack is never a hindrance to God. It is only a hindrance to us and to our faith. Get this down and never forget it. It's not the size of the church, but the size of the God in the church. Man, how big's your God? If your problems are bigger than God, throw that one away. You have it, your image of God is too small. Amen. It's not the size of your faith, but the size of your God. This was the disciples came to Jesus in Luke 17 and said, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus said, It's not the size, if you had faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed. We think inside, and Jesus thinks in kingdom. He said, if you had faith the size of mustard, you would say to this mountain, be moved from here to there, and it would obey you. He didn't say, well, if you had mountain, people say, well, I wish I had mountain moving faith. You know how much that is? <laughs> it's not the amount of your faith. It's the size of your God. So what do I do? Make God bigger. How many remember the old song? Oh, magnify the Lord. Some of you haven't been saved long enough. Amen. <laughs> Let us exalt his name together. Magne- what does magnify do? Make bigger? Make God's name bigger than your problem? Amen. What name? How, how do you know everything you face is connected to a word or a name? Diabetes is a name. It's the name for a disease. Heart disease is a name. Cancer is a name. Whatever it is, it is a name. It, 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 it's a name, but there is a name that is above every name. 
And when I say Jesus, then I'm calling on a name that is above every name. And when I say Jesus, and my faith in the name of Jesus is greater than my fear in the name of cancer, heaven begins to move on my behalf. Amen. So make God bigger and magnify the Lord. The third lesson is this. The instruction, how do you turn not enough into a more than enough? Listen to what Jesus said. He said, set them down in order. And then give me what you have. Hear me, this is not about a lunch, it's about a life. This is not, Jesus is not just teaching them how to feed lunches to people. He's not just teaching them how to do community outreach. Which is all good, we, we do that. But it's not about a lunch, it's about a life. This is a living parable. Jesus is trying to tell them, guys, why? This is how the kingdom works. I'm going to illustrate everything Jesus did was to illustrate how his kingdom works for our life. And when you as Christians, when we as believers get a hold of God and say, God, I just want to know. I want to see your kingdom flow through my life. We get all caught up in everything else. But if we say, God, I just want to see your kingdom begin to work through my life then he'll begin to ask us for what we have. So look what happens. They were blessed, meaning they were received. They were broken by being defined to purpose and given to accomplish purpose. Think about this. What happened? They gave the Lord the lunch, but Jesus put back into their hands that which they had given to him. See, people are afraid when it comes to giving, when it comes to honoring God with your life. That's that one area. Well, the number one area that people have banned in their life is the area of giving in the word of God. I believe everything, I just don't believe giving is for today. Giving was under the Old Testament. Giving was under the law. No, giving is the life of God. You can't get saved without giving. The number one thing you're called to do is to live in forgiveness. Because if you do not forgive, neither will God forgive you. I don't know about you, but I need God doing a lot of forgiving to me. I don't want to cut myself. Are you listening to me? But, but so showing people, and so what am I doing? I'm giving. I'm letting go. I'm releasing. And when I live by the principle of giving, it's, it's not one act. It is a lifestyle. Giving is how we live. We live totally given to God. I can't, it, that, that, when I go back to Mary, you, I can't give, honey, where are you? She's here with mom someplace. Hi, sweetie. <laughs> Amen. And so on that, but it, I can't just give her this portion of my life. We go through the drive-thru. I order fries. She doesn't want fries. But as soon as I get fries, she wants to eat mine. And she's very biblical about it. <laughs> All that you have is mine. I said, but I will bless you with your own. <laughs> Amen. You don't have to just nibble on mine. You could have your own. I didn't want that much. Get your own and throw what you don't want away. I wanted all of these. <laughs> just saying, Amen. So Jesus put back into their hands that's what they had given. 
They gave him their not enough. Why? They gave them their not enough. Some of you are afraid to operate in giving and living for God in every... I don't have enough time. I would serve in the church. I don't have enough time to give any time to God. I would do... I don't have enough... Whatever it is, we see not enough. But he gives them back what they had given. Not enough has now become more than enough because it's blessed, but now it's broken. Without brokenness, there can be no multiplication. And then it's given back in multiplied form so they could give it away. It was in their hands to give not to eat. So I have to ask God many times, Lord, I have some extra time. So you come back to, is this seed to sow or bread to eat? Because he supplies both. First Corinthians 9, he supplies seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So provision comes in two ways. It comes for sowing and for maintenance comes for sowing and for eating. So I said, Lord, is this to sow or to eat? Is this to sow or to eat? And so in that area of if, if I'm eating, going come back, yeah, if I'm eating or consuming all my seed, whether it's a seed of time, whether it's a seed of resources, whether it's a seed of abilities, whatever it may be, if I'm consuming all my seed, then I'm not going to get a harvest. Amen. I mean, I don't know about you. I want to live with faith that's greater than what I can produce for God. I want God to do something through my life. I'm, I'm going to share a verse in a minute. It's exciting. It makes sense to you. So, <clears throat> so what he has, he puts in your hand. He has it, and he puts it back in our hand. So what's the result? They followed, turning not enough into more than what happened. They all ate as much as they wanted, right? Secondly, they were all satisfied and filled, and there was more than enough left over from their not enough to meet their need. So the question is, how can this work for me? First of all, you have to release what you have. Don't hold too tight to not enough. No matter what it is, not enough. I remember the, the old day timers, and we're all trying to manage our time. How many know the more you try to manage your time, the less it seems like you have? Because you're just looking at, oh man, I got so much on my camera. I said, have no time, I have no time, I have no time, I have no time, I have no time. Just time. I mean, time's a huge element for people. Think about it. You have to release what you have. But people always look at not enough. The only way to get beyond that is you have to live beyond today. Live beyond today. You have to be able to, then you, secondly, you have to be able to trust the one who's asking you for what you have. And that's really what it comes down to when it comes to living blessed, broken, and given by God. Is he's asking me for my life. I have to trust him with my life. I can give him my life. I can give him my time. I can give him every part of my life. My whole life can be yielded to God. And I trust him with my life. Amen? That he won't violate that. The problem that we have is that many of us have been through life and our trust has been violated in relationships. And so we think God's going to be like the people that violated our trust and broke our hearts. So we're letting brokenness define our relationship with God. Amen? Instead of allowing his brokenness to produce his multiplication through our life. So think about it. So you have to trust in one who is asking you for what you have. 
Think about it. No one had ever done this before. Nobody had fed multitudes like this. Nobody had done this before. And there's nothing natural about the request. God's not asking you for natural things. And there will be nothing natural about his request in your life either. What he's asking them to do was completely unnatural. They're looking at, they're reasoning out, Lord, if we had this much money, if we went here, if we did that, if we, could, if we did everything we could think of do the natural, we still couldn't provide enough to make it happen. The Lord said, I'm not asking you to do it. And we'll get into it as we move forward next uh, on the 17th. But in John chapter 6 is my favorite account of this because the Lord says to Philip, Philip, what do you think we ought to do? And it says that he was testing Philip in doing that because he already knew what he was going to do. Listen to me this morning. God already knows what he's going to do concerning your life. He's God. It's a revelation right there. Amen? He knows what he's going to do, but he's asking you. What do you see? How do you perceive the situation? Are you just going to see it through your eyes, or are you going to see it through what I can do through your life? Amen? And so he challenges that. So that brings us to lesson four. Know this. God never has and never will make a natural request from your life. I tried to illustrate a couple weeks ago in that look what God said with the tithe. If you honor me with the tithe, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you cannot contain. I'll rebuke the devourer. I, I, I could care less if he multiplied so much what I give and finance. I just want the devourer rebuke, rebuked off of my life. Just that statement, I will rebuke the devourer? Sign me up. Are you doing all right? I bet. How, many, how many have any kind of insurance? And you're paying monthly premiums. Insurance is payments that you make in case something happens. Honoring God with what he asks you is not a premium, but it, it, it provides enough. It's your obedience to his work, and it doesn't give you insurance. It gives you assurance. I'm fully assured in my heart. I don't worry about needs or necessity. Why? Because I've taken God at his word. Are you listening to me? I'm trusting God. So I have assurance. And now we got people watching. Now because of fires, the insurance company going, hey, we've had to pay out too many premiums. So anybody living in a fire zone, we're going to cancel all their policies so we don't have to pay anymore. They paid out 24, in the last two years, they paid out $24 billion in California. In policies. Heard that on the news the other day. And so now companies are being, people are living in these fire zone areas, their insurance is being covered, and now they can't even sell their house because nobody can get insurance on it. Are you doing all right? So how many know there's no assurance in insurance? Are you listening to me? But if I'm honoring God, he said it would rebuke the devourer. How many know fire is a devourer? I'm, I'm just trying to renew our minds. Are we doing all right? So God not ask making a natural request of our life. Why? Because he's not trying to do something natural in your life. He's not a natural God. He is a supernatural God. Amen. Listen to what he says. You give them what you have. What you have. We must guard against falling into a natural routine with God. We just get... Humanity loves ruts. The routine of a rut. You know what a rut is? The definition of a rut is? Yeah. A grave with both ends kicked out. I'm just in my rut. Don't ask me to change my I'm just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Don't mess with my routine. 
And we bring it over in the spiritual. We go, don't mess with my religion. I got God exactly where I want him. Amen. We must be willing to do things that will produce the results God desires to bring about through our lives. How do you do that? Believe big. Believe big. I didn't know how to say this. I had no idea God would use me in any way that he's used me. All I did was say yes. All God is asking you to do is say yes. He said, what do you have? But get this. Whatever you have is not enough for what he wants to do through your life. That's why I said to you last week that the guy that it used to be Bill Gates, but now the guy that owns Amazon or whatever is the richest guy in the world. He's a nut job. Money is not a sign of intelligence, I'm telling you right now. But in that area, um, if he got saved and wanted to honor God with his life, he'd have to believe to do something greater than his billions for God. Or else it would just be his ability, and God will never be glorified by your ability. God will never be glorified in your life by you living to just your ability. God, everything God does, he wants to live to the praise of his glory working through you. Which is why he's not asking you to do something natural. He's asking you to do something supernatural. Are you doing all right? So look what he says. You feed them. You give them. You be a blessing. You meet the need. This is servant stuff. And these are the things that he shows and says to his servant. Go with me to Genesis chapter 12. The worship team will come back. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 and 3. Now watch this. God calls Abraham out. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your kindred, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. So God is asking Abram to give him his life. Abraham, give up where you are. Abraham, let go of your plans, your design, everything, and let me lead you. Trust me to lead you. Look at verse 2. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. Let me ask you this. Why did God do a miraculous birth through Abraham and Sarah? Why, why did God bring about Isaac the way he did? Because Abraham and Sarah can take no credit for, being, for producing that child. It was a miracle. It was God gave them a child. God caused them to bring forth his life, his plan, his purpose. What did they have to do? They had to be given to God by saying yes. Amen. And God says, if you give your life to me, I will bless you. Bless by being given. And then broken by being defined to God's purpose. What happened when they tried to do it their way instead of operating his way? They produced Ishmael. Because they didn't want to walk through brokenness. Doing all right? 
And then he says, And I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. How many know that sounds good? I like what Philip Brooks said this. I I looked this up in in, uh, this little note here from Moody. I will bless thee, and thou shalt be a blessing. It's good for us to think. Listen to this real close. It's good for us to think that no grace or blessing is truly ours until we are aware that God has blessed someone else with it through us. No blessing is truly ours of God's grace or anything until someone else has been blessed with it through our lives. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. You and I are blessed through the obedience of Abraham opening the door for the birth of a Savior. Blessing comes to you. The grace becomes a reality and living this truth becomes a reality. The Lord says the way this becomes active and real in our life, I love this. No grace or blessing is truly ours till we are aware that God has blessed someone else with it through us. He graces us and what he graces into our life, brings into our life. Somebody else gets blessed. Now that's, now it's mine. When it flows through me for you. Amen. Bow your heads with me this morning. The ushers are going to come and we're going to receive our offering this morning. And we purposely have moved our offering to the end of service. It's because offering is something that we give to God out of response to His goodness in our lives. And the worship team is going to sing a song here in just a moment. We give you some time to prepare your offering. This is my question. Where's your heart today? as a nation to live blessed, broken, and given there has to be a yes in my life to God today you're living with not enough time not enough peace some people live with not, like I said earlier not enough joy not enough faith We just see life through not enough. The way to turn not enough into more than enough is to have a yes that gives what you have to God. Then He receives it. He mixes it with His and He puts it back into your hands. It is a win-win situation with God. We always win when we live with the yes in our heart. Father, today I pray.